You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Dementia is on the rise. Our population is aging. What effects will this have for our economy and our way of life in the future? Welcome to Medical Breakthroughs from the University of Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Dr. Lee Friedman, and with me today is Dr. John Trojanowski, Professor of Pathology and Laboratory Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania, Director of the National Institute on Aging-Sponsored Alzheimer's Center, also Director of the Udall Center of Excellence for Parkinson's Disease Research, and the Director of the Institute on Aging at the University of Pennsylvania. Dr. Trojanowski, welcome. I'm delighted to be here. This is such a devastating problem, and it seems to me that the current tools we have to try to help people with dementias are so feeble. Are there new things on the horizon that are promising? Well, there are probably over 70 or 80 clinical trials in progress right now that are examining whether a variety of compounds that hit targets that would abrogate Alzheimer's disease progression will in fact work, and we're all hopeful these come out of basic science advances over the last 20 years, so it's very gratifying to me as a scientist who works on these diseases to see the translation of insights into disease mechanisms to potential therapies, and I want to emphasize potential. We don't know which of these clinical trials will or will not succeed, but this is the very good news. The first drug for Alzheimer's disease that was approved was Tacrin in the early 90s. Recall Alzheimer described the disease in 1906, so there was a long time between the discovery and a therapy that was FDA approved. These and other drugs that are currently available now are symptomatic. They don't have robust effects, so what we're all looking for is a more potent therapy that would either delay the onset retard the progression or shut the disease down completely. At the same time, we've also become aware of a number of lifestyles that are associated with a greater or lower risk for Alzheimer's disease. And this offers, I think, optimism as well for all of us as we age. We can take charge of our lives and modify how we live in ways that I think are enjoyable, but also reduce risk for dementia. What do I mean by that? Well, one is a social network, so having a number of enjoyable friends that you like to talk to and interact seems to be associated with a lower risk of dementia as opposed to someone who's a loner, doesn't interact very much with other people. Cognitively stimulating activities, being interviewed on the radio like this, uh, being asked <laughs> questions, uh, learning another language, acting in a play, all of these things stimulate the mind and, again, seem to be associated with a lower risk of dementia, avoiding head trauma, having a diet rich in antioxidants, maintaining a healthy weight, a healthy blood pressure, healthy cholesterol levels. All of these things in association studies are linked to a lower risk for Alzheimer's disease and dementia in general, a glass of red wine or white wine. So some of these things are quite enjoyable physical exercise is yet another thing. So these are lifestyle choices that people can embrace because they like them or because they're worried about developing Alzheimer's disease. And there is even animal research data, experimental data from laboratories arguing that it's not just an association, but there may be a cause and effect. Physical exercise stimulates growth factors in the brain that may protect the brain from the ravages of Alzheimer's disease. And this is really, I think, important for the public to understand. That is really fascinating. And and so most of these are associations. Are there particular ones that you think are 
closer to causation. You mentioned in the animals' exercise, are there of the social interactions, keeping the mind stimulated, et cetera, particular ones that you feel are more important to stress? I would emphasize exercise. I think many of these things are also linked to a lower incidence of other diseases, cardiovascular disease. So physical exercise is good for your heart as well as for your brain. And the evidence from animal studies is, I think, very robust. So it, it seems as though you can undertake a new exercise program at any age and it will benefit you physically, make you more physically fit and fit from a cardiovascular point of view and also reduce your risk for dementia no matter what age you start exercising. So people shouldn't feel a sense of hopelessness if they're 60 years old and that I've never exercised, by all means do so. And the same is true of a number of food ingredients. Things that are rich in antioxidants include leafy green vegetables, blueberries, raspberries, all sorts of berries. And there have been studies in uh, Alzheimer mouse models showing that green tea, cucumin powder that's used in, in Indian food, blueberries, and so forth do indeed slow the progression of Alzheimer pathology in these mouse models. What has not yet been done is a clinical trial of this in large numbers of people, and of course that's a daunting and expensive type of trial to undertake, but it would be something that would be very, very informative to do. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Medical Breakthroughs from the University of Pennsylvania on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and with me is Dr. John Trojanowski. We are discussing newer treatments for Alzheimer's and other dementias, as well as implications of these illnesses for our aging population. So those are some very practical, optimistic things that we can take charge and perhaps do some things to prevent the development of Alzheimer's or other dementias. What about statins? Is there any sure. good data? This can be approached to lower cholesterol. So diet and exercise are the, the things that I would recommend first because those are far less expensive than cholesterol-lowering drugs. But there are clinical trials that are testing whether cholesterol-lowering drugs indeed will have ameliorative effects on Alzheimer's disease. That, that data is not in yet, but the laboratory data is strong enough to have prompted clinical trials. And obviously, the stakes here are, are very high. We're living through, all of us now, a longevity revolution that is unlike anything human civilization has experienced before. And 1900, when Alzheimer's described this disease that now bears his name, life expectancy was 50, the top 10 or probably even 20 causes of death were infectious diseases and accidents and so forth. So not many people live to the age of greatest uh, risk for Alzheimer's disease. That is into the seventh or eighth decade now. Life expectancy around the world is steadily increasing. And in the United States, it's late 70s. In Japan, early 80s. So we are now seeing the population over 60 and even over 85 being that segment of the population that is increasing most rapidly. In the United States, the U.S. Census Bureau projects that there will be four times as many people over age 60 by 2050 as there are now. So one powerful statistic to think about is as of last January of 06, baby boomers started turning 60 every seven seconds. Hmm. This will continue for the next 20 years. And as I mentioned earlier, the most significant risk factor for Alzheimer's disease is getting older, aging. And over the next 20 years, that population 
that will be at greatest risk for Alzheimer's disease is going to expand enormously. And what will that mean in terms of dollars and our economy and the human cost? Well, the human cost is going to be very significant. So there's about four and a half million people with Alzheimer's disease today, and that number will go up fourfold by 2050. The cost of Alzheimer's disease now is $100 billion, and it could well go up to near a trillion dollars by 2050. I'm, I'm not a, a medical economist, but these are the numbers that I read by scholars in the field. And our health system already is overstressed, and Medicare is predicted to perhaps be insolvent in 20 years for lots of other reasons, but this will certainly add to the financial stress of our health system and Medicare in a very considerable way. And so that's why I and many other people argue that investing more than we do currently, the federal government is the largest supporter of basic science research. There are pharmaceutical companies that obviously do drug discovery and clinical trials, but to identify targets that new drugs could hit and hence be effective in people, we need to invest in discovery science. And the federal government only spends about $800 million on a problem that currently costs our economy $100 billion. So with the projections of where Alzheimer's is going to go in the next 30 years, I call this an emergency that needs to be addressed now. It would seem that from an economic standpoint that pharmaceutical companies with a blockbuster product could really do so well. Why aren't they getting behind this at a little more basic level? I think that's absolutely true. Again, barring some of the insights from my colleagues who are pharmacoeconomists, they say that in 2050, the only pharmaceutical companies that will be around will be those that have Alzheimer drugs because they would have bought out all the others. <laughs> I don't know if that prediction is correct or not. They are investing in buying biotech companies to bring new basic science in and in partnering with academic institutions and, and also trying to develop, of course, in-house basic science programs for the research to find new targets. But this is the highest risk science. And the way pharmaceutical companies operate, I'm not in a pharmaceutical company, but you read this from experts who assess why there is a paucity of drugs in the pipeline. It's the conservatism in the way science is done. Pharmaceutical companies are answerable to stockholders and have to be stewards of their stockholders' investments, have to be very parsimonious with how they make investments. And I think they do invest in discovery, but they would much rather invest at a later stage in a scientific process where they can translate and obviously benefit financially at that later stage. I see the return on the investment is a more sure thing than getting involved at a grassroots level when it may be not quite so sure. Mature is an idea that can go to drug discovery program. <laughs> Are there other things that you see that might be helpful other than drug discovery? Is it education? Do we need to have a national organization to coordinate this? Are there other ideas? Well, I, I think the lifestyle choices that I mentioned are things that more and more of the public need to be aware of. And we at the University of Pennsylvania, I'm a basic scientist, but I take this so seriously and I'm so persuaded of the possible merits of these lifestyle choices, which have very few downsides, exercise and eating a healthy diet have merits in and of themselves, 
that we have recently made a 25-minute educational video that we are distributing through the Alzheimer's Disease and Education Referral Center of the National Institute on Aging. It was produced by several Alzheimer's centers, including our own, supported by the Metropolitan Life Foundation, and we are working to try to bring this to public television. That would you know, have the impact, I hope, of education about seatbelts, not smoking, and so forth and so on. If we can get the public to be more aware of how their lifestyle choices may increase or decrease their risk for dementia, hopefully they would make the right choices that are in their own self-interest to live and eat in ways that minimize risk for dementia. I want to thank Dr. John Trojanowski, who's been our guest as we've been discussing ways to help prevent the development of Alzheimer's and other dementias, as well as some of the implications of our aging population, and an optimistic outlook in some ways, in that there are things we can do right now that may be beneficial, many drugs that are in development, but also some possible gloom in the future just because of the cost and the numbers who will be affected by different types of dementias. I've been your host, Dr. Lee Friedman, and you've been listening to Medical Breakthroughs from the University of Pennsylvania Health Systems on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Thank you very much for listening.